this powerful, merciful, righteous God is not only near to us, but he's revealed himself to us through his word. So please listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you have blessed your people, the way you have given to us everything we need in Jesus. Father, we thank you also for blessing us temporally in this life. And we simply return now what you have first given to us. And we return these tithes, gifts, and offerings to you, asking that you would use them for your glory in this world asking that you would use them in order that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth, in order that the kingdom of darkness would be pushed back, in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. Father, as we prepare ourselves to sit beneath your word, we pray that this same gospel that we long to go out into all creation that it would be proclaimed to us. Father, we pray that you would come and that you would meet us where we are. Though we'd gather together as one body, we all come through these doors in different places. And we pray that you would meet those of us who are anxious, that you would meet those of us who are despairing, that you would meet those of us who are happy and triumphant, as well as those of us who are defeated and heavily burdened. Father, we pray that you would meet us where we are, that you would meet those of us who appear to be very, very good and those of us who appear to be very, very bad. We pray that you would meet us and in meeting us that you would remind us that despite how we come in these doors this morning, the truth is that we're really all the same. The symptoms are different, but the disease is the same. We are all far more broken than we could imagine. And so we pray that you would take us to Jesus to show us and to remind us or tell us for the first time that it can be true that we can be far more broken than we can imagine, but also at the same time because of the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work. We can also be far more loved, far more secure, far more accepted than we ever dreamed possible. So we pray that you would show us Jesus this morning, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
Uh, the children, uh, ages three to six, they're dismissed to children's church so they can make their way to the back of the sanctuary and make their way to children's church. Um, we're continuing our study through Luke's gospel um, as we're looking at the stories that Jesus told about his kingdom. Um, it's really a, a series on the parables of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And we've been in this series since the fall of 2013. Um, and so, among other things, uh, we're probably learning about now. By the way, we only have two more to go. Um, but we're probably learning um, that Jesus told an awful lot of stories. Uh, we've been in this series for a number of months. Um, you know, he knew that we love stories. Um, and we really do. I mean, we, we love to tell stories. We love to listen to stories. We love to read stories in literature. We love to watch stories unfold uh, in the movies, right? Um, but even more, um, as Joan Didion once wrote, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. See, we don't just love stories. S- stories strike at something deep in the core of our humanity. We, we need stories. We think in stories. We live out of stories, right? And you've got to hold on to that thought as we make our way this morning. But today we're in Luke chapter 18. We read this passage earlier. Dave Wunro read this passage for us earlier. And we're listening to this story that Jesus told about an unjust judge and a persistent widow. And, Jesus, and Luke tells us, why Jesus told this parable. It's one of the few parables where you get the meaning of the parable up front. He told us this parable um, in order that we would always pray, right? In order that we would not lose heart. I mean, Jesus himself, you got to take a little comfort in this, right? Jesus himself, he knows that you and I, we are going to be tempted to give up, right? Give up on praying especially when God seems very, very distant and when he seems silent altogether. I remember this one time my wife and I, we were having this discussion. Um, Discussion is code word for we were having an argument. Um, You know, feelings were hurt and, you know, things were miscommunicated and misunderstood and all that kind of stuff. And so this passionate discussion, right, it broke out. And, uh, I'm sure so few of you can relate to this. Um, But anyway, while we're starting down this road of this passionate discussion that we're having, things started heating up and I was I was ready. You know, it was my turn and I have my six point sermon full of examples and illustrations. And I was ready to win this argument. Right. And right in the middle of it, Jennifer said, look, I got to call a timeout and uh, I, I can't talk about this anymore. I remember thinking, what? You can't call timeout. This is not a basketball game. Um, and even if it was a basketball game, you don't have the ball. I have the ball. You can't call timeout when the other team has, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, she's just totally cutting me off in the moment, right? It just stopped the argument altogether. And she went in another room and that was it. Um, and I, I, I remember just feeling confused, like, what just happened here? You know, and now I'm all alone in this room. Um, we were having this great argument that I was ready to win. What happened? You know, I, I remember, it, at least for a moment, my, my anger escalated, right? 
How dare you do that? I was so frustrated in that moment. I also felt kind of scared, like, gosh, what is she thinking? What is she doing? You know, right now she left. Um, I remember feeling alone. I, I remember the silence being deafening, right? But listen, here in that moment, um, we could talk about this for a long time. You could break me down and psychologize me. But here's what this, that silence did for me, at least in that moment, after the shock wore off, right? It, it put an end to us traveling down that familiar road, that familiar territory uh, we were in. Um, and, you know, the same thing happened to me that happens to a three-year-old when you put a three-year-old in timeout, right? It, it was in the silence that I was really forced. It wasn't what I wanted, but I was forced in the silence to reflect. I, and in the silence, I got resized and reshaped, right? Jesus encourages us with this story to go on praying in the silence. And I want to suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, that when it feels like God is so, so very distant, and we feel like all we're getting from him is silence, and and, and we are confused and frustrated, maybe, just maybe, he's resizing and reshaping and transforming us in the silence. But listen, we'll only get that if we go on praying in the seeming silence. So how do we do that? I'm very glad you asked, uh, because that's what the sermon's about. Um, Three points. How do you and I go on praying in the silence? Here's my points. You have to become a poet. you, You have to look at the horizon in the distance, right? And you have to get rid of your dementia. Three points. Hopefully you can remember them. Become a poet, look at the horizon, and get rid of your dementia. First, you have to become a poet. Now, I'm not saying, you know, quit your job, become a starving poet. You know, it's a metaphor, right? Look, poetry itself, it's super hard to define. What is it? You know, it's the use of words and images and metaphors and all that kind of stuff to convey or express emotions or ideas or something. I, I don't really even know what poetry is, but I'm less concerned with what poetry is. And I'm more interested in the process of creating poetry, the process of it, because the poetry is born out of reflection, right? Of getting quiet and still, of detaching even from a moment, right? In order to ponder and contemplate and reflect. And most of us are not good poets because the silence terrifies us. Right, you think about all the noise in your life that's always constantly going on. We're always distracting ourselves from the silence. Quietness, stillness, reflection, it, that makes us aware and we don't want to be aware. Right? We don't like that. To go on praying in the silence, though, you have to become a poet. You have to sit in the uncomfortable silence and do the hard work of reflection. Now, you've got to hold on to that thought for a moment as I work through this, this parable for us here. Look, it's about a poor, vulnerable widow who's facing some kind of injustice in her life, right? And she is completely alone. I mean, she's the one who has to go before the judge and plead her case. She, she doesn't have a lawyer, right? She does, there is no advocate there 
for, for her to plead her case, right? And to make matters worse, the judge in her village, in her city, we're told neither feared God nor respected man. And in fact, he knows this about himself. It's kind of scary. He knows he is not going to fear God and that he doesn't respect man. He tells us that in verse, this comes up in verse 2 and 4, right? So not fearing God, not respecting man. See, here's the predicament she was in, right? She couldn't appeal to right or wrong. And she couldn't, she couldn't hope for pity from this judge. She couldn't appeal to that. She was in a bad spot. So here's what she did, okay? She nagged her way to justice, right? Verse 3, she kept coming and begging for justice. I mean, she left him voicemails and emails and messages with his secretary, right? She made sure she bumped into him in the hallway. You know, she met him at the market. She was, she was at him. You know, she met him at Starbucks. She stalked him. She nagged him into justice, right? And event, see, eventually this self-consumed judge, right? He gave in, verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So here's the genius of this story that Jesus tells. You got to listen closely because if you miss this, you miss the story that he's telling. He is saying this widow reflected on the character of that judge and then appealed to him on the basis of his character. Okay, he doesn't care about me and he doesn't care about right or wrong. He only cares about himself. So I'll appeal to his character. I'm going to wear him out until it's in his best interest to give me justice. Now, stay with me. If you read this story and think, okay, Jesus is telling me I need to wear God out with my nagging. You missed the point. If you think Jesus is saying, here's how you gain God's attention by your many words, you miss the point. The point Jesus is making is this. What should your praying look like when you have reflected and poured over the character of God? I mean, see, the story, it works by contrast, right? This widow won the day because she became a poet and she reflected on the character of that judge and appealed to him on that basis. And Jesus is saying, think about God who is completely unlike that judge. He is loving and kind. He is merciful and compassionate. He is righteous and he is full of grace and full of mercy. When God appears to be silent with you, you have to get quiet and you have to get still and you have to reflect on his character and understand this, that no one loves you more than him, that no one cares more for you than him, that no one can be trusted more than him. Horatio Spafford, right, he penned that poem um, that we sing from time to time, right? One of the most popular hymns of the church, right? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. You know that hymn, right? Some of you know the circumstances of his reflecting and writing that piece of poetry. Spafford was a businessman in Chicago who virtually lost 
everything in the, Chicago, the great Chicago fire that swept through that city. Not long after that fire devastated him financially, his four-year-old son died to scarlet fever. Two years later, he decided to send his wife and his four daughters to England for a respite, for, for a time to get away, right? And he sent them ahead of him. And on the seas, there was an accident. And his four daughters died and that drowned in that accident. And only his wife was saved. So he was crossing the Atlantic to be reunited with his wife when he was told by the captain of that ship that they were now crossing the place where his four daughters had drowned. And that's when he went into his cabin and he reflected. He became a poet in that moment. In the silence, he went clinging to the character of God and wrote that hymn you sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Look, So I'm asking you, what about you? I mean, because just think about your praying for a moment, especially your praying when God seems distant and silent. What, what is it like in that moment? Is it non-existent? Does it feel pointless? Does it feel useless? Does it feel worthless to go on praying? Do you find yourself getting bitter and resentful in that, those moments? Or, or are, your, are your prayers in those moments sweet and calm, perhaps sorrowful, but mixed with joy? Right? You're, they're your sustenance and your life, even in the silence. Think about your praying, especially in the silence, and then ask yourself this. What story is shaping my praying? Because if you feel it to be pointless and you're growing bitter and you're growing resentful, it's probably because you see God like this judge in this passage. He is cruel. He is harsh. He's unmerciful and uncaring. Why isn't he fixing my life, giving me what I think I need in this moment? At the end of this passage, Jesus asks, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Another better translation of that is, will he find faithfulness on the earth? What if, just what if, what if at the heart of praying, what was meant to be at the heart of praying, was not you getting God to give you things or to do things for you, but what if the main thing God wanted to give you in your praying, was himself. So that you would be content to follow him and delight in him for who he is, no matter what the circumstances are in your life. For, see, for you to go to him in prayer, not to just get things from him, but to get him. You and I will never get there unless we're willing to become poets. To sit in the uncomfortable silence and to reflect on God's character. That is the only way someone like Spafford right, could write such a beautiful hymn that we sing. When everything was falling apart and God seemed silent, it is well with my soul. Okay, second, to go on praying in the silence, we also have to look at the horizon. If you were to read Luke chapter 17 that comes just before this passage... And that's a shocker, Luke 18, Luke 17, right? But, um, you know, 
you would see that Jesus in that context, context, he's talking to his disciples and he is talking about his second coming when he returns. Right. And he was telling them about the suddenness of that day, of that coming day. He was talking about that day when the son of man would be revealed and justice would reign forevermore. And you can hear that connection even as you read the end of our little story here in Luke 18. Just listen again to verses seven and eight. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faithfulness on the earth? You know what happens when when um, when things in your life seem to be falling apart, right? It's quiet and there doesn't seem to be any answers on the horizon, right? When life is crumbling and you're crying out and it feels like your prayers are getting no further than the ceiling, right? What happens in that moment for most of us is that we get very, very nearsighted, right? We can't see the big picture anymore, right? We're just trying to survive the moment, the minute, the hour, the day. And we can't seem any, any further than that. How do you go on praying when you're facing that? Here's what you do. You get glasses for your nearsightedness. You look out and beyond to the horizon. Look, it might be easy for for us to get twisted around at the end of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. Because he's talking about this long delay and then justice that's given speedily. So you're kind of left thinking, well, which is it? Delay or speed, right? And it's both. Right now... We are often feeling, sometimes much more pointedly than others, right? We are feeling delay, right? Paul says, in fact, that that not just you, but all of creation feels the delay. That all of creation is groaning for the day when all things will be made right. Groaning, saying, hurry up, when will it come? This feels like it's taking Forever, hurry up and get here, waiting for that day when all of creation is going to be reborn and remade for us, right? And everything is put back right when we'll, we'll finally be able to come back to the home we always knew we were made for, right? Everything put right, including ourselves. So yeah, in, in the silence, it feels like a delay. But Jesus is saying, he's saying, look to the horizon. Look to the horizon, fix your eyes off in the distance Because when Jesus comes again, justice will be given speedily. Right? He will come like lightning. He will come in the blink of an eye. And in the blink of an eye, he will make everything wrong in this world right again. Justice and righteousness and truth and glory will reign forever. And all the sadness and all the injustice and all the oppression and all the brokenness, it will be turned upside down Forever and ever. And all of it will come untrue. Forever. One of my admittedly overused uh, but favorite stories um, is when my daughter Kennedy was just three years old. And we were watching TV on the couch and we were watching this program where money was being raised for these children in Africa. And these children were dying of AIDS, the AIDS virus and malaria, malnutrition, impoverished and suffering and sick, right? And my daughter, as she, I don't know what I was doing, letting her sit and watch that stuff. But anyway, my daughter, as we're sitting there 
and she saw these kids with tears running down their dusty cheeks, you know, um, she said, what's wrong? And knowing that she's not going to understand all of it, I, I just said, well, at boo-boos, you know, she's three years old. And, uh, and immediately, without skipping a beat, she asked me, she said, well, will Jesus make it better? And, you know, here she was exposed, right, to this broken world of suffering and pain. And her question was, will Jesus make it better? And the Bible's answer to that is a resounding yes. That one day, perfect justice will reign and all the wrongs will be righted. And all the brokenness of this world will be undone. Today it feels like delay, but one day, someday, in the blink of an eye, all the sadness will come untrue and all the wrongs will be righted. I love that story about my daughter. Um, and let me tell you why. It, it's very simple. Because she was three years old. Three years old, and I didn't teach her that. It's instinct, right? Confronted with brokenness. She didn't know what she was doing, but she was looking for a horizon. Right? That, she was looking for that place. Looking for that, some, that someone. Someone that's going to fix all of that. Where this ends. Right? But it's even more than that. Three years old, and it's just instinct. You and I, we, need story, we tell stories in order to live. Right? She saw that on the TV screen. And she was trying to fit it into a story. Right? You don't just love stories. You need stories. You can't live without stories. They're the way we make sense out of life. They're the way we find hope. They're the way we find meaning and purpose and significance. Jesus is saying, take this story into your life. Look at the coming horizon. A day is coming when the Son of Man will return and right all the wrongs. Bring that story with you into the silence, Jesus is saying, and watch it resize and reshape you and transform you. Because, you know, C.S. Lewis was right when he said throughout history, the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Here's what I'm encouraging you with this morning. Spend time praying for that kingdom to come, not for your kingdom to come. And see what difference it makes in the silence and in the delay. Third and finally, you have to get rid of your dementia. So, listen, throughout this whole sermon, <laughs> I'm trying, hopefully, to be practical with you. And to get, the, get you to take this into your prayer life in real practical ways. The next time you sit down to pray in the silence, in the quiet, right? To become a poet, to reflect on the character and the beauty of God who has revealed himself to you in his word and in his son, right? To get your eyes off of your present circumstances even and to look at the horizon into God's glorious coming kingdom. And finally, in this third point, you have to get rid of your dementia. Look, here's what I mean by that. My grandfather, he's 93 years old and he lives with, with my parents in Baton Rouge. And, um, and, he is suffering from dementia and has been for some time. And some of you know what that's like to watch a parent or a grandparent go through that. And it is unbelievably painful to watch that happen. We were with my parents. We went down to Baton Rouge. My family did over spring break. And uh, 
when we were down there, um, you know, my, my grandfather, he pro- we were there four days. My grandfather asked me at least a hundred times in those, at least a hundred times in those four days, who I was. And that's sad. But you know, the real sad part is when you're sitting with him in the living room and he turns to you and he says, who am I? You know, where am I? What day is it? Do I have a wife? And, and you know what he's doing in that moment. He is grasping and he is reaching, right? You hear it in those questions. He's looking for something to hold on to. He is lost in his own skin, right? Disoriented, needing to know who he is. Jesus says in verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Here's what Jesus is saying. It's more the contrast that's involved in this story. He is saying, you, you aren't just some nameless widow in a nameless city in a made-up story. You are God's elect. You are his chosen people. You are the children he has loved from before the creation of the world. You are his true people caught up in the true story of the fall, redemption, and consummation. You've got to shake off and get rid of your dementia. This is who you are, Jesus is saying. You are God's special treasure. His chosen people. Now, that's unbelievably good news for you and I. Something you can take into the silence with you. That I may be confused, I may be suffering, I may feel lost, I may... But I am known. And even more than that, I'm not just known. I am known and loved to the very bottom of my soul by the God of the universe. That's unbelievably good news in the silence. But I bet verse 7 made a few of you nervous. Because if you listen to it again, it says, And will not God give what to his elect? Justice to his elect. And some of you think, justice? Um, I do not want him to give me justice. Um, I know what I'm like and I know what I deserve. I want mercy. I want grace. That's what I want. Well, Yes and no. Um, And I want you to hear me clearly, but justice is very, very good news for God's elect. Justice is what you need. And believe it or not, justice is what will make your heart sore and set you free. Let me show you. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, some of you are, you know that verse very well, but John writes, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, some of of you have this view that Jesus is in heaven. And he's pleading with his father that his father would show you grace and show you mercy. Father, I'm so sorry, Susie. She did it again. You know, she's blown it again. Just a little bit more grace for her. A little bit more mercy for her. That's not what this verse is saying at all. Right? This verse is saying, you have something that the widow in this story did not have. 
you have a righteous advocate, Jesus Christ, in the throne room of his Father. And he is not pleading grace and mercy on your behalf. He is pleading justice on your behalf. How is that good news? How is that freeing for you? And compelling and captivating even. Because Jesus is saying, Father, your perfect justice requires and demands that you cannot take two payments for Susie's sin. I paid it all on the cross. Forgive her for justice. Because justice has been paid on the cross. That's good news. Because this justice means that when Jesus returns in the blink of an eye, that all of creation is going to be reborn and righted for you. Why? Because when Jesus paid for your sins, he made you a child of the king who reigns in justice forever. You have to get rid of your dementia and realize that you are a child of the king and take that into the silence. And let me end like this. When God seems to be silent, right, you have to become a poet. You have to look at the horizon. You have to get rid of your dementia. And you know this, I think, without me saying it, that this sounds a lot easier than it actually is, right? And I think that deep down, you probably know why. And it's because deep down, we are deeply suspicious people. Suspicious and always questioning, and especially in the silence. We are deeply suspicious that God cannot be trusted. Deeply suspicious that He doesn't have our good in mind in this situation. I'm telling you a story now. That suspicion goes back to the very beginning. You remember the story. It was in the garden when our first parents said, basically... God can't be trusted. He's got to be holding back on us, right? We would be a lot better off if we started calling the shots here. And so they took and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, God had come to them and he had said, Obey me about this tree and you will live forever. But you know how the story goes, right? They didn't obey. They didn't obey about the tree. And the whole world was plunged into ruin, sin, misery, and brokenness. Centuries later, another man was in a garden. Jesus. And it was the night before his crucifixion, and he was praying. And he was contemplating his death being nailed to a tree. And his father basically said to him, Son, obey me about this tree, and I will crush you into the dust. And he did. And justice was served. He willingly took the full justice for all your sins and mine. And hanging on the cross, do you remember what Jesus prayed? He prayed. He lifted his voice to heaven and prayed, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And read your Bible. No answer was heard. The silence 
was deafening upon the cross. Deep down, we are suspicious and we think that God is holding out on us and think that he doesn't care and think that he doesn't have our good in mind. The way to push back on those suspicions is with this story. That Jesus, God's own son, so loved you that he willingly gave his life for you. That Jesus did endure the silence, being truly forsaken by his father for you. So that when you feel that God is silent with you, you would know that he cannot ever be silent with you. He was silent with his son in your place. So that you could only in a moment feel to be forsaken by him, but never be forsaken by him. So that you could only in a moment feel his back turned towards you, but never get his back. Because Jesus got that in your place. When justice was poured out upon Calvary's tree. You have to become a poet. You have to look at the horizon. And you have to get rid of your dementia dementia as you plunge yourself into this story. You don't just love stories. You need stories. And God tells you this story in order that you would believe and live. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows us, the God who made us, a God who has built us in such a way that we need stories. And you have given us this story, this true story of a world plunged into sin, ruin, misery, and brokenness, and of a Savior who came, your own son, who came to endure the full wrath, to become a curse for us, in order that he could in heaven plead your justice on our behalf, our righteous advocate, reminding us that God can never take two payments. For the same sin. And that Jesus. Has paid for it all. Father we pray. That. We would find ourselves today. Encouraged. That Jesus. Would know us so well. That he would know that there are times. That we would feel. That God is being silent with us in this life. That he would encourage us. In those moments. To go on praying to reflect on His character, to look to the wonderful future of His coming kingdom, and that He would remind us of who we are, your treasured possession, your chosen people, your elect. Father, we pray that You would help us take this into the silence, and that in it we would find ourselves resized and reshaped and transformed. Father, teach us to pray, not to get things from you, but to get you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.